Hello! Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon, a true proletarian revolution. But until that day comes, I am your host, Josh, and I'd like to say thank you so much for stopping by. Today, we have much to talk about, as always, and I'd like to start off with a few things off the top. First of all, shout out to homie Quinn for reaching out and asking some incredible questions. I hope you are well. I hope you're listening to this, and if not, I hope to be able to speak to you again soon. I believe this is how you got in contact with me, I would expect, but thank you so much for you know, reaching out and the incredible questions that you've asked. Uh, I hope to be able to continue talking with you and others, uh, you know, that listen to the show, that have questions, that want to reach out, that want to tell me that I'm fucking stupid, that everything I say is wrong, and this is actually the person who I need to be reading and listening to. I want people to reach out and tell me what podcasts and YouTube channels they watch. You know, I want people to reach out and say what their favorite strain of weed is what a good cookie recipe is like fuck reach out to me and like talk because not for nothing I would like to assume if you are like me you listen to podcasts while doing shit or while doing nothing instead of talking to people or you know at least instead of it more often than not right I don't know if that's true I listen to podcasts and audiobooks everywhere I go Um, I'm pretty much a loser. But anyways, (laughs) the second thing I wanted to say off the top is right now, it is December 16th. It is 8.02 a.m. I am in central New York, and it is 53 degrees outside. Now, for those of you who are not from central New York, December 16th, it is never 53 degrees. Maybe in the last five winters, this has been an odd rarity that it might have popped up. But less than a week ago, we had three inches of snow. The two days before that, it was in the 50s. The two days after that, it was in the upper 30s, uh, early 40s. With rain, torrential downpour rain. And now it's 53 degrees out at 8 o'clock in the morning. This is not normal. And to those of you who are like, oh, you know, like when I talk to my mom about it, she's always like, oh, well, we have weird winters in central New York. You never know what you're going to get. Except when I talk to my dad and when I talk to my mom and they talk about their childhood, every single winter they got shit on with snow. Like my dad, I was adopted, so my dad's fucking old. Um, He, uh... (laughs) Um, he was alive during what is called in my area the blister of 66. And there was like six feet of snow on the ground. Like if you walked in the road, there was at least two to three feet of snow above your head. Uh, Like he was telling me that when they would, you know, like uh, ride in the car, you couldn't see anything because the snow was taller than any car that you were driving. Even, he was like, I'd imagine some of the semi-truck drivers or the bus drivers in the area probably even had to deal with some of the issues. But 
Anyways, climate crisis is upon us. And just because here in my local area, climate crisis does not mean polluted air that is unbreathable or drinking water that is undrinkable, yet does not mean that climate crisis is not an issue for millions upon billions of people all over the world who deal with flooding, who deal with what we are calling, but could not even compatibly be called natural disasters. People who are suffering food shortages, droughts, people who are suffering polluted water and air. All of this is upon us today at Red Hill in Hawaii. They had to announce that their main aquifer was undrinkable in places all across New Mexico and other areas where nuclear testing sites are had. There is portions of air that you just plainly cannot be in. It is so toxic and it caused such damaging, you know, issues with heat and with your inability to perspire that it can kill people in a matter of hours. You have all this gas, all of this greenhouse gas that is destroying the ozone layer that is leading to carbon uh, 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 influx, all the carbon emissions which are not able to be broken down because we've deforested because we've gotten rid of all of the natural ways in which this carbon is recycled back into the earth itself. And so I implore anyone today to ask themselves, what is it in your local area that you can do? What is one issue surrounding the environment in your municipality that you can get involved with and you can do something about? Because right now, There are people all throughout this country and the world who are indigenous, who every single day have to get a water testing kit out to decide whether or not they can drink the water coming out of their tap faucet. There are people all over the country who are incapable of trusting the baby formula, the baby powder, the uh, nutrients and supplements that they're supposed to get their children because of the negative after effects that studies have proven that these different supplemental uh, food sources and uh, cleanly, you know, hygiene sources um, are doing to children. The uh, skin irritation and the cancers and everything that we develop because of the different, you know, uh, uh, like hygiene uh, equipment that we're meant to use. And it's just... And this is not to, you know, get conspiratorial and, you know, not trust any of the products that you're using. But you have to understand that these studies that come out about, you know, these different foods, products, drinks, etc. that we use. And five, ten years later, they find out that it gives you this cancer. It gives you this heart conditioner. It gives you this, you know, blood pressure issue. All of that is because at the end of the day, they do not fucking care if we die. They don't care if the climate crisis leads us to a point where the earth is literally a ball of fire. If they can find a way to get off into their own secluded area, if they can find a way to get a bomb shelter to keep them in there safe, if they can find a way to keep their power 
their wealth and their continued profit income, they are going to do it. And the third last thing that I want to say before we get into the episode is as things continue to get worse, as the situations around the world continue to lead to more antagonisms, more inequality, more uh, contradictions among the working people and the ruling class, the more that people become consciously aware that not only is something deeply, deeply wrong, but something needs to be done about it. I, um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and say that I'm going through it any more than anyone else is. But I think just like everyone else, I'm feeling alone. I'm feeling desperate. I'm feeling unsupported. And I'm feeling like I'm dangling right above, you know, foreseeable doom. Uh, I have a full-time job, but it doesn't pay me well at all. And I need a new one. And there really isn't any out here. Um, I have a two-year degree, but I can't afford to go back to school. My partner and I can't afford to rent if one of us is not working. I can't, you know, do the things that I need to do on a day-to-day basis because I can't miss a day of work. And it's getting hard, you know? Not that it was ever easy, but it's hard. And, um, you know, I'm just depressed and I'm anxious all the time. And I can't really seem to get anything to calm me down, you know? I smoke weed, which is now legal in New York State. Fuck you, pigs. Um, I've tried some meds. I, uh... I didn't take too well to those. Um, I definitely can say I don't eat healthy. It's very difficult to. Very expensive. I don't have much downtime to relax. And I don't really have any hobbies I'm keen of. Other than, you know, podcasting and theory and reading and talking with the homies. And making, you know, some new comrades. And so, like, you know, if you're like me, if you feel this way, if you are in a similar situation, we have to start doing the things that make us uncomfortable. We have to start going to the meetings. We have to start, you know, hitting up our friends and having them over if it's safe. We have to start, you know, looking for a new job. Not that that's going to save us, but sitting here worrying isn't going to either, you know? But most importantly, we have to join and build revolutionary mass organizations. Now, I've been harping on this point for a while, and I'm going to keep harping on it because I think it's what really brings us all back to the most important and crucial point, which is the fact that we are unorganized. Um... Now, I think, again, as I like to say as a disclaimer when I get into this discussion, I think that there are a lot of incredible groups and organizations all across the United States 
all across the world that are doing incredibly revolutionary stuff. And in a lot of cases are doing exactly what the, the, the goal is, which is leading the class struggle. Um, and what that means doesn't always mean that what you're doing leads to a, a success. Nine times out of ten, when we struggle, we lead ourselves into a difficult situation where we don't always win. But by losing, quote-unquote, or by not accomplishing our objectives on the first try, first and foremost, especially, like, I'll give you an example. I'm helping, not really, I should say I'm attending meetings for a tenant organization. And they recently submitted to a property manager a list of their 17 demands of from the tenants with 70-something signatures. Now, we didn't put the signatures right on there, of course. That would be a goof move. <laughs> and what they got back was they were told that the downstairs bathroom, which is connected to the common room, which hours they just changed on. You know, they just changed the hours in the common room from 7 to 7, I think, until 7 to 3. So now a majority of people who work can't actually use this quote-unquote common room. In the bathroom that's adjacent to it, they closed. They put new locks on there. The tenants aren't allowed to use it. Which means the tenants that are in wheelchairs, the tenants that are handicapped, because this is mostly a uh, uh, disabled and elderly facility... So now these folks who are, you know, either downstairs trying to have these meetings or in any other context, just in the common room, they have to go all the way back up to their, you know, apartment to use the restroom. For some people, that's not as easy as you and I. But anyways, I use this example because now they are suffering a retaliation for simply demanding that they get treated like human beings in a building that they are paying for, you know, shelter. And what do they get back? More awful treatment. So although this didn't lead us to the success we wanted, it didn't give us the, you know, uh, accomplished demands as we had hoped for, we didn't actually expect that that was going to happen, especially not this first time. And we also kind of expected that there would be uh, some form of retaliatory, you know, backlash. And we were hopeful for that because it gives the people who live in that building yet another example to see that these folks do not give a fuck about them. And so any of those who were on the fence about, you know, whether or not they wanted to uh, tag team and actually take on the property managers and the landlord... Now they have, you know, yet another reason, yet another thing pushing them in that direction. So that's, you know, one way in which we who lead the class struggle, who uh, wage class war, want to engage with our, our failures, our losses, our missteps, and, and find ways to learn from instead of, uh, you know, be taken down by uh, mistakes which are, you know, they're going to happen. In any organization and any, you know, 
collective, there's going to be stuff that happens that we don't want to happen. There's going to be things that are said and done that we wish, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, we would have done differently. But we need to be able to decisively act in a moment in a way that leads towards some kind of development, that leads towards some kind of growth in numbers, that leads towards some kind of deeper understanding and consciousness raising. That is our goal. That is our objective. A friend of mine pointed out quite recently that many white and western leftists tend to talk about the class struggle in a way that seems as if they think that it's not going on right now. That seems to be uh, formulated in a way that makes it sound as if they are trying to proactively prepare for something that is not already here. In the same way when you'll hear Elizabeth Warren or AOC or Bernie Sanders or Rashida Tlaib or Ilan Omar or any of these supposedly progressive folks talking about green technology, uh, you know, carbon capture technology, when you hear them speak about a Green New Deal, this is a very similar strategy, trying to prepare for something that is already here. And we are not acting decisively enough. Because the way in which we respond to the crises that happen here in the United States is a reactionary one. And we respond this way because we are unorganized. When when Biden goes ahead and signs a $22 million deal with an oil extraction firm immediately after the COP26 meeting, we know that a Green New Deal isn't going to do shit to stop this. When Enbridge and other oil companies succeed in putting pipelines through unseeded indigenous territory, untouched natural waters and land, when they continue to do this against the resistance, against the mobilization, against the petitions, the legislation, the uh, rhetoric within the halls of power, We know that this rhetoric, that these petitions, that these, you know, nonviolent demonstrations are not going to be enough to change the system. But we know, because this is what we're doing, that this is the level of consciousness that the masses are at. And this is because we are disorganized. We are, you and me. That doesn't mean that indigenous people are. That doesn't mean that black folks are. I mean, look at what happened in uh, line five. They dressed up, supposedly, allegedly, somebody dressed up as a, an oil you know, pipeline worker, went in there with tools and just shut off the fucking pipeline. But no, folks, let's go ahead and sign 50 more petitions, you know? Let's go ahead and donate two more dollars to this organization. Because every single part of that, right, from the active, you know, (laughs) uh, taking down of the pipeline to the passing around of funds and the petition signing, all of that plays a role in leading the struggle. Because one shows what direct action can do. The other two 
show what we have to work with to get to that point. We know that petitions, that legislation, that rhetoric, that elected officials, that these guidelines and restrictions that they put in, they are idealistic. They are temporary. They are unsound. They are unfortified. And they can be revoked at a moment's notice. They can be ignored. They can be completely championed over by the oil executives, by the banking firms, by the trade organizations. We know through historical struggles that there are ways in which we can bring the people into the fold There are ways in which we can try to engage with the masses. There are, you know, strategies and tactics to trying to put information out there and to raise the consciousness. But all of this can only succeed if it is fed into a large mass movement that is organized, mobilized, militant, and united not solely against the system as it is, but also for a new tomorrow, for a new society, for a new system, not based on exploitation, not based on the oppression of the majority of the people around the world, not based on dividing and conquering tactics, not based on racism, sexism, xenophobia, not cleaved into classes of haves and have-nots, of exploiters and of exploited, of oppressors and the oppressed. But there is only one true way in which we can solidify this change. There is only one historical way that has proven time and time again to be able to allow for a centralization and a concentration of power within the hands of the oppressed and exploited people. That is revolution. That is proletarian power. That is the people designated in what we might call the new ruling class, the dictatorship of the proletariat. Now this sounds scary. This brings a lot of questions to our minds. This makes us think that, Josh, we've tried this. Look at what it's brought us. Look at how these different countries have failed. Look at how all of these different socialist projects lead towards new developments and contradictions. And to those people, I will say, yes, socialism is a process. Yes, there are contradictions and antagonisms among those within a socialist system. Yes, the class struggle continues on during what Marx called the first stage of communism. Yes. But how do we think that it is the same. How can we imagine 
that the people in charge of themselves administrating their own government, developing their own form of class rule, how do we think this is the same to a less than 3,000 person rule of the wealthiest and most powerful few? How do we think that it's the same as a government that is built by a bunch of people that are only in these positions hoping to be able to make a career or a million bucks out of it? How do we call a working class person who is elected into a local position and is able to take control of the economy, of the social sphere, of the police department, of the manufacturing uh, plants, of the housing development, of the water plant, and actually be able to implement changes that provide for the masses of people in that local area. How do we call that the same as when a new private business or former CEO comes in and becomes the mayor? How do we call that the same as when Spectrum or National Grid or Walmart or Amazon, or Dollar General, or Target, or any of these massive corporations come in and destroy the local economy. How do we call that the same to a system where people are dying on the side of the road without food, without shelter, without support, because it is not profitable to those who own the food, who own the homes, who could give support? How do we call that the same as a system such as the one that is in Nicaragua, such as the one that is in Cuba, such as the one that is in China or Vietnam, that is directly administrating itself and using portions of its economy to eradicate houselessness? How do we call it the same? It is plainly just on a foundational level The essence, and this is where it's most crucial to understand, the essence of a socialist system is unlike any system we've had before. The essence between a slave society and an absolutist society is the same. The rule of the few privileged over the many uh, uh, proletarians, over the many uh, um, possessed The rule of the absolute monarchy and the rule of the capitalist oligarchy is only different in word. It is only different in form, but in essence, it stays the same. Now, there are a lot of different organizations and groups all over the world fighting for things like black liberation, an end to climate injustice, proletarian revolution, uh, ethnic and national contradictions, uh, land defending, water protecting. There are people fighting for nationhood. There are people fighting for independence. There are people fighting for self-determination. There are people fighting for liberation. And then there are people who are fighting for $15 an hour. People who are fighting to be able to join the AFL-CIO. People who are fighting to be able to get a law passed that says if you kill a transgender person, 
you are going to rot in hell one way or another. If there is not a law, a legislative body, or a force that is capable of punishing the people who continuously refuse to provide the masses with the justice and the equality that they deserve, the people who let Kyle Rittenhouse off and face no consequences, the people who are in Jeffrey Epstein's black book but face no consequences, the people who are on the board of directors, the CEOs, the board of trustees, the stock and and market controllers of the world who face no consequences, know that they are going to be able to keep doing what they are doing until someone, something, or some system comes in and makes sure that they cannot continue to exist as they have. I mean, I'm not saying this is the right thing, but when executives in China were caught having uh, tainted with uh, you know, water, or when Chinese business executives are accused of having uh, stolen money, they are executed. They are killed. They are, their businesses are nationalized. Their homes are taken from them. They're taken from their families. Like, in this country, they're given a raise. They're allowed to buy another business. They're able to sell their stocks right before the ban- pandemic begins and make billions of dollars. They're able to privatize a vaccine and a healthcare system. They face no consequences now. What will change that? That's really the, uh, the difference maker is um, if you are looking to build a revolutionary movement which is capable of achieving the goals that you set for it, you have to understand that those within that, uh, you know, movement, the people who not only who are placed in positions of power within that struggle, but also the masses of people themselves who feel called to participate in this movement, they're all going to have different things that they want or need. They're all going to have different things pop into their head when they hear socialism, when they hear people's power, when they hear revolution, it means different things for different people. And the actual material changes that people require are different. So the difference maker between a supposed revolution and an uprising and, uh, you know, whatever else you want to call it, And an actual proletarian revolution is first and foremost in the actual fighting forces that make up the revolution. If you look at the revolutions of 1848 to 1852 in Germany, if you look at the Russian revolution, if you look at the Chinese revolution, if you look at the Sandinista Revolution or the Cuban Revolution, you can see quite clearly that these revolutions not only were, you know, supported by the people, but also made up of by the people. Whereas in 1848, the revolution was supported by many, and in a lot of cases was actually fought in the streets by the people. But they were not the ones who were at the helm, who were to make off because of this revolution. It was the liberals and the intelligentsia who were able to find themselves in positions of parliament 
or in new positions of power within, you know, other realms of control due to their willingness to step aside as soon as their words about revolution came to fruition and allow the crown and allow the, you know, soldiers within the German states to go ahead and massacre all the poor workers and all the peasants that up until that point they had been telling, the liberals that is, the liberals had been telling them they were going to be in the streets with them. But if you look at the proletarian revolution that took place in Paris in 1871, you see yet another difference. Because in Paris, the workers learned. In Paris, the workers took hold of the state machinery and they smashed it. And they built themselves something anew. They developed a society that had been unlike any other. That had been built by the people themselves and had been done in such a way that it led towards not just helping people in words, but actually helping people to take control of their own situation and be able to implement the changes they needed themselves. If you look at the Russian Revolution, if you look at the Chinese Revolution and the Cuban Revolution, you see very similar things. But how were these people held accountable? How were these governments able to be kept to their word? Well, you had mass organizations who at the end of the day were going to be the final word on whether something was truly revolutionary or not. Because if the situation, if the action, if the event or the legislation or the revolution that happened actually was meant to do for the people what it is the people needed, the people would have accepted it, they would have benefited from it, and they would have continued trying to build it. As the people of the Democratic Republic of North Korea, as the people of Venezuela and Bolivia continue to do to this day. So, <clears throat> what I think one of the most important points that we run up against in our, uh, you know, more westernized mindset is uh, the fact that we've been told our whole life, A that this isn't realistic, B, it'll never happen, and C, if it does, as, you know, uh, my new homie Quinn pointed out in one of his questions, we're all convinced that it's just going to lead to the same thing, just with different rulers. Now, I can see why you'd think that. You have countries which, historically, this has happened. Um, if you look at the fall or I should say, if you look at the overthrow by capitalism of the Soviet Union, then you can see that at the end of what was a historic revolutionary society gets destroyed by this parasitic capitalist system and becomes eaten alive. It turns into a zombie of its old self. This example, as well as, you know, people's critiques of China, people's critiques of Cuba and Nicaragua and Venezuela, 
they all lead them to a place where they now believe that they know better than these actively practicing socialist projects. And sure, maybe you read some more, you know, theory than the average person, so you feel inclined to believe that, in fact, you know more than most do. And you even might. But at the end of the day, the reality is, until you are in a group, a mass organization, or a party that is actively building socialism, a socialist revolution, or some kind of self-determination, some kind of liberatory struggle, you are only aware of these things in a theoretical, rhetorical sense. When faced with the decisive moment, many people who knew the words, many people who knew the books, many people who knew the other people themselves got it wrong, took the wrong step, betrayed one another for money, for power, for fear. You are no better than anyone else. We must understand that. We all make mistakes. We all think we know better. We all have ego. But if you truly think as someone who spends more time on social media than doing anything actually revolutionary, if you think that you know better than the Sandinistas, if you think you know better than the Cubans or the Chinese or the Russians, I implore you, my friend, to please start the revolution now because I will be waiting. The people will be waiting. So the question comes down to how do we get to this point, right? How do we go ahead and actually put these ideas to practice? The only way that we can think of actually being able to successfully do this, the only way that has been historically possible, is through a revolutionary struggle led by the masses of people themselves as well as the advanced, the organized, the revolutionary and mobilized mass organizations which give the masses of people the support that they desperately need. This, combined with a mass movement that captures on the energy that is created by the capitalist system, which consistently exploits and oppresses billions of people around the world. I believe, my friends, that we have a real opportunity for something. We must simply understand that we cannot just keep talking about it. I can keep recording these podcasts until my face turns blue, but these podcasts are not what's going to build a socialist revolution. The people are. And so if we aren't willing to join organizations, if we aren't willing to go door to door and talk with people, if we aren't willing to, willing to build community fridges and community self-defense networks, if we're not willing to do popular education on the coronavirus pandemic or on sexual and domestic abuse, if we're not willing to build reading groups and, uh, you know, different community self, or I already said that, you understand that the most important thing that we need to do is we need to be building our base. We need to be coming together. We need to be building organizations that actually protect us, that actually stand as a force against the reactionary repression of the state. 
If we want to be able to overthrow the capitalist system, we have to have the plain forces to do so. We have to have the wherewithal, the knowledge, the courage, the ability, and the willingness to take the decisive steps needed in order to lead us to a new tomorrow. This does not come through just nice thoughts and good ideas about a better world. This comes through practical action. This comes through writing. This comes through developing ideas. This comes through conversation. This comes through struggle. And that struggle will lead to many things, but it will lead to contradictions, having to come up against one another and be led to a conclusion of sorts. But unlike the many revolutions that have been fought before, our revolution will be fought to its logical conclusion. And our revolution will be the revolution that is able to overthrow the beast from within its belly. We have a lot that is ahead of us, my friends, and the more that we talk about it, the less that we're doing something about it. So I implore you, for as much time that you spend on podcasts and books, please spend it also in organizing. The people are powerful. We are the ones who are in control. We have just been convinced we have no capability of doing it. We have been told it is only these select few who have the, you know, God-ordained skills to lead. We have been told it's only those on the ballot that have any legitimacy to power. But my friends, let us remember that it is us, the people, who build this society. It is you and me who go to work every single day to watch as we, with our own two hands, build a new you know, thing every day. Whether that be a piece of technology, whether that be a, ba- a package that we put together in order to ship out, or whether that be, you know, um, foodstuffs, whether that be X, Y, or Z. We are the ones who are actually building what the masses of people all across the world require. We are the ones who are producing everything that is making these billionaires their billions of dollars. We you and I, the people of the world, especially in the global south, are the ones whose backs the weight of the world is carried on. And if that is the case, then my friends, we have more than enough uh, applicable skills to build a better tomorrow. And so we must and we will. And the only way that we will do it is through organizing. The only way that we will do it is through mass education, through building organs of power that put objectives forward that help the people to understand those objectives, that help the people to see why those objectives will lead them towards a better tomorrow by involving the people themselves in those objectives and accomplishing those objectives. We see needs, we meet needs, we educate, we propagandize, we rinse, we, re- we repeat. And so if this is our objective, my friends, then we cannot do it from behind a phone screen. We cannot do it from behind a computer screen. We cannot do it from, you know, thousands of millions of miles away. So if you're spending all of your time critiquing something which you have no physical connection to, my friends, then you are lost. And you have been lost because by being lost, you become able to be controlled. By becoming lost, by focusing on things that have no material basis in your reality or mine, by focusing on things such as sectarianism, such as 
you know, ridiculous critiques of theory that was written a hundred years ago. If you're talking about, you know, getting lost down a Trotskyist, <laughs> you know, hellhole, there's so many different ways to get lost. But my friends, I am telling you, if you are lost today, if you feel as if what you are working towards is not leading you towards your goals, you can become able to be involved still. You can still develop your skill set, your knowledge, and your connection to people and organizations to build something new. And you must. You will. We will. Together. It is our revolution that is coming. The revolution of the people of the world. Now, I am not saying this because I, Josh, think that I have the ultimate voice and I'm the one who needs to be leading the vanguard. No, I'm talking to you about this because it's time that I and you both get a gun, both get trained, both learn how to uh, survive in horrible conditions, both, you know, take whatever steps we are legally allowed to under our current legal system and others, if possible, allegedly, to be able to build our revolution today. And so we need rank and file. We need everyone involved. So let's get involved. Solidarity and love to you all. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay revolutionary, and uh, stay sane. Thank you for listening. I hope this was uh, encouraging and educational. If it wasn't, please let me know. Reach out at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. No caps or spaces. Or you can find me at indefensiveliberation on any uh, platform, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, or um, uh, Instagram. Uh, Thank you for listening, folks. I hope you're well. We will speak soon. Until then.